the power of Christmas is this. If Jesus Christ really was who he claimed to be, and if Jesus Christ really did die on a cross and then come back from the dead three days later, as all the evidence suggests, then Christmas, his birth, is the dawn of God with us. God with us, not so that he could get to know us, but so that we could see and know him. God with us, not so that he could befriend us, but so that he could redeem us. Christmas is truly this most amazing miracle when you think about the power of what's happening. But what we recognize is this. That amazing power was not limited to one day or to one manger. And the power of God with us wasn't confined to one man's life some 30 years here on earth 2,000 years ago. God with us endures to this day. It is a principle, it is a truth, that in a very real way, God is with you no matter the circumstances, no matter the seasons of your life. So what we're doing in these weeks leading up to Christmas is simply this. We're acknowledging that there are some seasons in life where it doesn't feel like God is present. You might wonder what he's up to, where he is. And so we're looking at a few different areas of what it means, practically speaking, that God is with you. All, of course, leading up to the ultimate miracle of Christmas itself. So what we did last week is we looked at what it means that God is with you through the valley. God is with you through the valley. There are these extended seasons of life of hardship or struggle, and you might pray for God just to take you out of the valley. But what we learned from Psalm 23 last week is that your God knows when it's better for you to go through the valley than for him to rescue you from it. And today what we're talking about is the season where you might feel like you are in the wilderness. What does it mean that God is with you in the wilderness? And what we mean by wilderness is simply this. It's a season when there's nothing you can do but wait. You know, picture like you're just lost in this big wilderness. You don't know where to go. You don't know what direction to go into. And so all you can do is just wait for something to happen. Now, before we get too deep into this, you might wonder, well, why is it that we human beings don't like to wait? Maybe you're the exception. Maybe you love waiting. You should talk to me after the service. I'd love to learn about you. But I don't think any of us like to wait. And here's why. When when you're forced to wait, it means that the control of your time is in someone else's or something else's hands. You can spend your time much better than someone else. So when they have control of your time and you have to wait for them, it just makes you angry. And I don't know about you. I'm not good at waiting. I'm not good at waiting. It is not my spiritual gift. It's a, it's a curse. I know many of us have this, but you know, I'm in the, the store and there's all these checkout lanes. It's a rookie move just to look at how many people are in each line. That's rookie. For me, it's next step. I see how much stuff they have, and then I do a quick psychoanalyzation of them to say, okay, is that like a talker? Are they just going to talk to the cashier and waste my time? Uh, Is this a coupon person? Do they cut out a bunch of coupons and just lay them all on the counter and sort through them all? Like, I'm trying to analyze, next level, which is the fastest lane to get through. And you know the struggle. It's real. It's real. You always pick the one that's not 
the fastest. There's always that other land that opens up and you just miss it and you've been in line for so long. First world problem. First world problem. I'll acknowledge that. There's this other area of life where it's like, you know what? You're at the stoplight and there's this person in front of you and the light was red, but now it's been green for like 1.5 seconds. And they're sitting there. It's been like a second and a half. And you're thinking, do they not see the green light? And literally, just time it. Like, it's like two seconds until your hand is on the horn, ready to tell them in a polite way to move along. And then here's the other thing at red lights. You see, the amazing technology we have today. When you're at a red light, you don't have to wait for the red light. You can distract yourself with your pocket technology. You whip out your little, and I think this is why people don't see the green lights. But you whip out your thing, and no matter where you're at, no no matter what you're waiting for, you don't have to wait anymore. You can entertain yourself for hours and hours with this little phone that you bring along in your pocket. There are so many things working against us when it comes to this wilderness of waiting. Maybe you're wondering, why is this a church thing? Is this really a God thing or a spiritual thing? And I want to show you why it is. First of all, I want to show you this picture. This was me in 1986. This was actually the first of several pictures that you see me in a soccer uniform. This was my first year playing soccer. I played for the Star Blazers, an amazing team out of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And uh, I don't remember our record. I just remember I played goalie, and my first, like, first game, I tried to punt the ball, and it went right back into my own goal. And that's one of my memories from my Star Blazer career. Anyway, this is first of many photos. I could show you 15 years worth of pictures of me in a soccer uniform going all the way through college, but I don't want to show you my transition through adolescence. Not going to give you that ammunition against me. I've learned my lesson. So I could show you several pictures of me in soccer uniforms. Now, next one, I want to show you all of my basketball pictures. Here they are. I did not play basketball one single season of my life. I practiced, I tried hard, but there's this this thing where I could not figure out how to do this. One thing, it's called dribbling. I could bounce a ball fine, but if I had to bounce a ball and walk at the same time, all bets are off. I'm going to hit my foot, I'm going to do something. I could not dribble. Where is this going? Here's where it's going. Dribbling is fundamental to basketball. And waiting is fundamental to life. If you try to play basketball and you don't know how to dribble, you're not going to have much fun and you're not going to be much good at it. If you try to go through life and you don't know how to wait, you're not going to have much fun in life and you're not going to be very good at it. In fact, if you don't know how to wait the way God wants you to wait, you might go through life and have this big empty spot where God could have been doing things in your life, but you forfeited that because you decided you weren't going to wait. What we're going to see today is simply this. When you, when you zoom out, we, we've talked about you know, the, the trivial things like waiting in line or waiting at red lights. We've looked at trivial things, but the other thing I know is that some of you are, or some of you recently were, going through intense seasons in the wilderness where you've been waiting for things that are not trivial, 
waiting to see what the doctor was going to tell you, waiting to hear if your son or daughter would reach out to you or not, waiting to see what your career might be like or what it might not be like. There's all sorts of seasons of waiting that I don't want to trivialize here in the room. What I do want to do is bring them into a perspective because guess what? The world is a giant waiting room. All of humanity that is living today is waiting for one thing, to meet God. What you do in the waiting will prepare you to meet him. And as we look at waiting, whether it's the trivial kind or the intense kind, I think there's ways that all of us can grow, especially in this season. Because what I want to dig up for you today, as we look at Psalm 130 in just a second, there is something amazing that God can do when there's nothing you can do but wait. And I want to acknowledge this. Number one on your sheet, nobody waits on purpose. Nobody decides, you know what, I'm just going to wait for a while and just be in uncertainty for a while. No one decides that. But every wait can have purpose when and if God is with you. No matter the wilderness, no matter the wait, God can have purpose and inject purpose into this time when you can do nothing. When you can do nothing, he can do something. And Psalm 130 is a psalm that's going to help us figure out what is the purpose that God can bring into these times in life when there's just nothing we can do but wait. Now, if, if you're a th- theological person, if, you, if you're heavy into doctrine or you're a big Bible studier, I just want to give you a disclaimer going into this. Psalm 130 was not designed for people who are struggling with waiting. The scope of Psalm 130 is much broader than that. It talks about people in all sorts of different times of distress or despair, and it's, it's really a big, wide-open topic. But what we see in this psalm and what makes it unique is the way it talks about how we interact with God during those seasons. So as we dig into this psalm, I want to show you how you're not probably going to choose to wait on purpose, but every wait will have a purpose. Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That word depths is so ambiguous and so wide that a number of people can apply this to multiple areas of life. In fact, when you look at Psalm 130, this is one of the 15 psalms in the the book of Psalms that are categorized under this, this this title or this heading called Psalms of Ascent, Psalms of Going Up. And it's thought that people would use these psalms as they were headed up to Jerusalem for their pilgrimage once a year. So they would have these 15 psalms, and they would use these psalms as they traveled up, vertically up, into Jerusalem. And you might say, well, why 15 songs? The answer is, that's how many times kids asked how long till we're there. 15 songs of ascent as they traveled up to Jerusalem, and this was one of them. And these psalms were designed to help people be prepared to meet God. Out of my distress, I called to you, O Lord. And you can apply this to your wilderness situation, whatever it is. If you're at the checkout lane and you're in a season of wilderness for another five minutes, you could say Psalm 130, verse 1. 
probably not out loud, unless you want a reaction from the people around you. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And people might call security on you. But this is one of those seasons that it could apply to. Similarly, the much more serious seasons. God, I can do nothing but wait. And this is tearing me apart from the inside. Out of the depths of my life, I call to you. Would you hear me? Would you be attentive to my cry for mercy? And here's where I want to make a real easy application, something I want you to remember. If and when you find yourself grinding your teeth in the wilderness, grinding your teeth because you're frustrated, because you're not in control of your time, and you don't know how things are going to work out, what I want you to remember is this. No matter how long the wilderness might last, it can become a gift. Number two, it can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. God, I don't know what my career will look like and how I'm going to support my family this next year. This is a season of waiting for me. But it drives me to you. Lord, in my despair, hear my cry for mercy. You don't know how your son or daughter or how your mom or dad or your grandma or grandpa, you don't know how things are going to go with them. And you're at your hands and knees because there's nothing you can do but wait for things to happen. Lord, in my despair, hear my cry for mercy. If this season of wilderness drives you to depend on God, then consider it a gift, a gift. Because it drives you to the only one who has the power to give you hope. And you might think to yourself, well, when I'm driven to God, like in that season of waiting, what can I expect him to do for me or with me or in me? Here's what we would all love. Like when you're waiting and there's nothing you can do, a quick prayer is, God, show me what to do. God, tell me what to do. Tell me my next step. I'm following you. Just tell me where to go. But what we're going to see in these next couple verses is that when you believe God is with you, even in the wilderness, and when it drives you to depend on God, he does something different. Here's how the psalm continues. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, in other words, God, I'm crying out to you in despair, but really I don't deserve to have you hear me. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Just picture this, picture this. God walking around, God sending an angel to follow you with this piece of paper or this laptop or this pad, typing down everything you're doing wrong. Not just the behaviors on the outside, not just the misplaced words or misspoken words or the angry words, but down to your very desires and intentions. And if he were to call you then into his presence with this list of records, you would not be on your feet. You would be on your hands and knees begging for mercy. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Here's what some of you need to hear today. You're in a season, or you were recently in a season of being in the wilderness, where there was nothing you could do but wait, and the reason you were there was your own fault. You were not the parent you should have been. You were not the child you should have been. You were spending money in a way you should not have been spending money. 
You were treating your body in a way you should not have been treating your body. And now you're in a season where you're just waiting because of what you've already done. And it's caused you to be in a place where there's nothing you can do. And you might think to yourself, why would God be with me in my own mess? And here's why. Because God, if you kept a record of sins, none of us would stand. But with you, there is forgiveness. It doesn't matter what brought you into the wilderness. God is there with you in it. Some of you just need to hear that today. God is with you in it. And where there is God with him, there is forgiveness. And then it goes on, Lord, who could stand? Like the idea being here in this kind of double meaning in this, in this uh, psalm, the meaning there is we don't even deserve to stand in his presence, but because he's a God of forgiveness, we can serve in his presence. We have purpose in his presence. There's things for us to do, even when there's nothing we can do, because the way we wait can honor him. But back to the question we had, when we're waiting, we just want God to swoop in and say, your child, you should go this way, take 10 paces that way, do these five things. We want him to tell us what to do to get out of it. But here's what we see from Psalm 130, number three on your sheet. God is more interested in developing who you are than just giving you something to do. Now, if I'll give you some time to write it out. That's a lot of words. If you're in a growth group this week, this is something you're going to get to talk about. Why do we gravitate so much towards something to do? Why do we crave to busy ourselves with just something to do? And here's what I think. You see, when we have to wait and there's nothing we can do, it forces us to think about who we are. And what we find when we look at who we are can be quite unsettling. But remember this. God with you, there is forgiveness. And in these seasons of waiting, the biggest thing he wants to develop about who you are is that you are forgiven. He looks at you, and he doesn't measure you by your failures. He doesn't call you a failure. He calls you forgiven. He calls you a dearly loved, redeemed child of God who was bought with the price of Jesus Christ's own life. You are his. And sometimes in the seasons of waiting, that is the only thing he wants to sink into your mind developing who you are, not just giving you something to do. Sometimes he takes away what you can do so that he can develop who you are. Perhaps that's what he was doing for you in your time in the wilderness. Perhaps that's what he wants to bring out of this current time that you might be in right now. But when this happens, and when you turn your heart to God and say, God, I believe I didn't enter this, this, this wilderness on purpose, but I believe with you there is purpose, and I believe that maybe you want to develop who I am, when you start to reevaluate your life in those terms, here's what happens. Next verse. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. The, the Hebrew word is nefesh, which means that your spirit, your inner being, your wholeness. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Now, here's a quick, quick thought for you. Whoever you wait for has power over you. Whatever you wait for has control of you. Let me explain. 
Have you ever ordered something online and they send you the tracking number so you can see how long it gets there, but you really want that thing to get there? You, you can't wait until that thing gets there. And so you check your email like every 30 minutes. You click that tracking number again and again and again. You don't know why it's still in Ohio. Why hasn't it left Ohio yet? Why don't they have it on a truck headed to Minneapolis? And you're tracking that thing and it just consumes you so much so that you're like, I'm going to drive to Ohio and just get that package. It consumes you when you wait for something. It consumes you when you wait for someone. If, if, if you're waiting for that person in line in front of you, you're going to be consumed by it, and you're going to be angry and bitter and selfish. Did I mention angry and bitter? You will be consumed by whatever you wait for. So the psalmist, as he steps back, he says, wait, 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 wait. There's so many things in life that I'm waiting for, so many wildernesses that we find ourselves in, but here's what I'm going to do. I wait for the Lord. My time is not in that person's hands in front of me. My goodness isn't in what's coming in the mail tomorrow. All things are in the hands of God. So I wait for him to deliver on his good schedule. I, I wait for him to provide for me. I wait for him in these seasons. He is my focus. My whole being is bought into this idea that there is no other person or thing that should have my wholeness. And the remarkable thing is this, and in his word I put my hope. There's this transformation going on. When there's this season of wilderness, there's, there's always this hope that we have. And here's, here's the big difference. You see, we might wait for things. And when you wait for things, there's uncertainty about when it will happen or how it will happen. But hope is different. When you hope for things, there's still this waiting period, but hope is this more certain thing, at least when you look at it from the biblical perspective. Hope means you don't know when it'll happen, but you know what's going to happen. It's like there's this bright light guiding you through the fog. You don't know what steps will get you there, but you know where you're headed. Now here's the beauty of this. When you wait for the Lord, you might not know when things are going to happen, but you carry with you the certainty of who goes with you. You carry with you the promises that God has established for you in his word. That doesn't matter if bad things or good things happen, evil or great, God can use all things and work them out for your eternal good. That's something that gives you hope in the wilderness. You don't have to wait for that. Hope is something that you can carry with you. No one, nobody goes into waiting on purpose, but there can be purpose in the wait. Sometimes God doesn't just give you something to do because he wants to develop who you are. And no matter what, remember that with him, God with us in the wilderness, in that time of waiting, there is always hope. There is always hope. So my question for you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Go, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Some of you, I know, there's, there's so many different stories from within this room. Um, some of you have been alive for so long, you're just waiting for God to call you home. God, when will my time be up? When do I get to see you? When, when will you wrap up my life here on earth? Some of you are, are waiting to meet someone. How long will you have to wait? What are you waiting for? Some of you are waiting for kids. 
you know, waiting for that blessing of kids. Some of you are waiting for your kids to leave the house. The blessing of the empty nest. Some of you are waiting for retirement, counting down the days. Some of you are waiting to hear about whether or not you'll have a job come January. What are you waiting for? There's this wonderful part of Psalm 106 that we haven't looked at yet where he gives this picture that would have made so much sense 3,000 years ago, but maybe doesn't strike us so much yet today. Here's what Psalm 106 says. What are you waiting for? It says this. Next slide. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Maybe you've heard this before, but in Hebrew, when you repeat a word or a phrase, it's, it's like our, how we would exaggerate. Man, I, I love pizza times infinity. It's like this superlative way of saying, I really like whatever. Uh, when he says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning, he's like, I really wait for the Lord a lot. And here's where it gets kind of mixed up with us. Like, watchmen wait for the morning. We don't really get that because all you're doing is like sitting in a chair up on the wall and watching, you know, the sunrise, right? No, if, if you were a watchman 3,000 years ago, that was the most difficult job anyone could have. There were no spotlights or floodlights. It was just the city wall and then darkness. And if you were the watchman, you were up all night studying every tree, every rock, every log, squinting through the darkness to try to see what potential danger might hit your city that night. For hour after hour after hour, you are watching. And all the while, acknowledging this, all it takes is one arrow from the enemy to get rid of the watchman. You are put in a very bad situation as that watchman. So when it says more than watchmen wait for the morning, their life was at stake. And just get this, the beauty of the sunrise was simply this, that now there is no more darkness, now we can see everything, and there is no more uh, danger out there that could be hiding, waiting to get us. More than watchmen wait for the morning, I wait for the Lord, for his providence, for his comfort, for his guidance, if he chooses it to give it to me, but more than that, for his ways to develop me during this time when I can do nothing. And as the psalmist wraps up this psalm, he, he puts it this way, where, where he says, all right, here's the deal. Israel, which if we were in the South, we could translate that, y'all, everyone who's hearing this, hey, y'all, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is unfailing love. When you put your hope, when you put your weight in the Lord, he's the one who controls it. He's the one who gives you hope. And even though you might be in this wilderness because of the, own, the, the mistakes that you yourself have made, with the Lord is unfailing love to forgive you. And with him is full redemption so that even when you don't know what to do, he develops within you who you are bought with the price of Christ's own blood. He himself, the psalmist had to write this in the future tense. We could look at it in past tense. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. He has redeemed the world from all of its sins. And it took nothing short of God with us. 
God with us waiting himself through 30 some years. Waiting with people who didn't get his plan, didn't understand his purpose, tried to get from him some bread, some food, some water, people who just didn't get it. He waited with them, waited with them. He waited with his father the night before his death, and then finally he waited on that cross, doing nothing, even though he could have done anything. Put your hope in the Lord. Nobody decides to enter a season of the, of the wilderness. No one decides on purpose to wait, but there is always purpose in the wait if you acknowledge that God is with you in the wait. He might not tell you what to do because he wants to develop who you are. And as long as God is with you, there is hope. You might not know what will happen, but you know the hope to which he has called you in Christ. This world being a giant waiting room to prepare you to meet God himself. That's the power of Christmas. That God is with us in the wait, preparing us to see him. I hope you can come back next week because next week we're going to talk about an area of life where it is so easy to forget about God being there with us. God is with us even in the mountaintop, on the mountaintop. When things are going great, when things seem fine and we forget about God, it's then more than ever we need to remember that God is with us and we want to see what he's doing in that area next week. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Sometimes in trivial, first world problem kind of ways, and sometimes in intense ways, we have to go through times of waiting. And we often struggle with that, Father, because from our perspective, we think we know what to do with our time more than other people can do with it. And we get angry, we can get frustrated, we can wonder where you are. But I pray that you would maybe change the way we view waiting. That it's not something that we have to forfeit or give up, but waiting is something that you can use for a good purpose. Help us to meditate in those moments of waiting, moments when we would other flare, otherwise flare up with anger or hatred or selfishness. Just give us a moment to pause and say, maybe this is a moment to meditate on your goodness, how you're in control. Maybe you're using this moment to develop who we are, even though there's nothing we can do. I pray you to give everyone here the wisdom to know what to do with this next. But more than anything, use our entire life to prepare us to meet you face to face in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.